0: Ephesians chapter 6, and the last Wednesday Wednesday night we talked about the finally my brethren were where Paul tells the Ephesians that they have a big enemy. They have a significant enemy, and the enemy that they're facing is Satan. Satan is our enemy, and you kind of got to know your limitations, right? You have to know what you're facing when you're measuring somebody to prepare for the, the battle, to prepare for the conflict. And the difficulty is when we are facing Satan, to spiritual battle, even though we're Christians and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, we have to keep in mind that Satan is superior, superior to us. He has more power than us. He has unending energy. He is able to undo us. And so Paul tells us that if we're going to stand in verse 10, Ephesians 6, verse 10, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might, you can't trust in your own strength. You have to have the strength of the Lord. You know, friends, this is not a new concept to us as Christians. Because we are not saved from hell's fire by our own strength. We're saved by God. It is God who has saved us. And, you know, in Psalm 100, we are the sheep of his pasture. It is he who hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his creations, you see. In verse 11, Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. You don't want ha- <laughs> to go out half-dressed. You want to go out with all your vital parts covered. You don't want to be lacking anything. Have you ever uh, went outside and it's really hot? Of course, right now in Oklahoma, you know, it can get pretty hot. And you know what? During the winter and the spring and the fall, you can walk outside on the driveway barefoot. It doesn't bother you. Have you ever walked out on the driveway here in a hot July day in Oklahoma? And stand on the sidewalk and, you know, you get talking to the neighbor and you're standing there talking. And next thing you know, you hear a sizzling sound and smoke coming up from your feet. I mean, your feet can get burned. I was up on the roof of my house a while back trying to do a little painting. And I did, I forgot how hot shingles can get. I burned my the palm of my hand on my roof just by putting my hand on the shingles. It can get so hot. So you have to be prepared. When you're going to go, in, when you're going into battle and you're going to face Satan in conflict, you need to be prepared. And so we're told to put on the whole armor of God, verse eleven, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil or the cunning schemes of the devil. The devil's going to come against us again and again, and you you can defeat Satan, but he's just going to come back. And he's going to try a new trick. This is I tried this when I played basketball. As you know, you always go to, go left, go left, go left with your left hand three or four times, and then you switch it up and go to the right side to try to fake him out. Satan is always changing his tactics. He's always stepping back, rethinking, redeploying, and they're trying to get after us. Now, Paul tells us in verse 12, we have to keep this in our memory, that we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against spiritual adversaries. And I mentioned this to you last Wednesday night, So when you look at the world, And you see people who are not Christians out there in the world. You see how wild and woolly they are, how wicked they are. It can get annoying to see how they are. But they are not the enemy. They are not the enemy. Every person who is not a Christian, no matter how bad they are, no matter how bad they've been to you, they are a potential brother or sister in Jesus Christ. God can save them and change them and give them a new heart. Give them a new way of life and make them new people. Every unconverted person is a potential brother or sister in Christ. And so instead of hating them, love them. Jesus said that we should do what to our enemies? Love them. Don't hate them. Love them. And it's hard. It, it, you can say, well, I, I can never love those people. That's right. It takes the help of the Holy Spirit. It takes a new understanding, a new perspective on life to see things in in the right way and the way God wants us to. So we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against these principalities. Warren Weirsby calls these things mentioned in verse 12, the helpers of Satan. These are the tools Satan uses in his attacks upon us. That's what we talked about last Wednesday night. Now we get down into the bits of the armor of God. The armor of God. Now, we have to remember a few things. Let's take a reading now from verse 13 to 17. Wherefore, take unto you the whole, it's a good word there, whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And the evil day is every day. Verse 14. Stand therefore, having your loins girded about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, most Bible study books don't include verse 18 in the armor of God, but I think it has to go with it. Prayer. The armor of God, the sword of the Spirit, and prayer. Prayer is such a vital and important thing. So we trust the Lord to add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's talk about the armor of God. So here is point number one. The armor is given to us by a victorious Lord. This is a resource that Jesus has given to us And it's important to realize that because Jesus has defeated Satan. He's already defeated him. Satan is whipped. And Jesus, even now, sits on the throne in the holy realm and reigns and rules over all things. And the day is coming. It's just getting closer with every single day. The day is coming when Satan will bow down before Jesus And accept from Jesus, the chain that will bind him for a thousand years, and he'll be tied in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. That day is coming. Satan knows it's coming. It's it's interesting there in Revelation, I think it's chapter 12, where it says that Satan has been cast down from heaven, and he goes wild because he knows he has a very short time. A very short time. Have you ever watched a sporting event? You know, and time is running down, and it's a real close game. And in those last few minutes, sometimes it's when everybody kind of hooks up together. The team plays with with a uh, like a symphony, like an orchestra. They're playing in harmony because they know this is important. This is when it matters the most. You know, if somebody's, you guys remember the Kurt Schilling bloody sock? Remember that from years ago? He's <laughs> he would he would have his he he would his tendon was torn in the back of his on his ankle. And he would have a stitch put in before every game and he would bleed during the game pitching. Why did he do that? Why does he risk such bodily harm? Because he wanted to win. Winning was all that mattered. You know, people push themselves through injuries because they they want to win. They know time is short. Satan knows his time is short. Satan knows he's defeated. He knows where he's headed. And what's he doing in these last moments that he has in the world, these last years or decades before Jesus sets down his throne upon this earth and sets up the 1,000-year kingdom? What is Satan doing? He's working like wild. He's going crazy. He's like a wild man ripping and tearing and doing everything he can with never resting because he knows he has a short time. The sad thing is that we who are Christians, we don't realize we only got a short time. We're not worried about it. Vance Havner said, no, I didn't hear Vance Havner say this. Vance Havner is reported to have said in 1976, the situation is desperate, but the saints are not desperate. They're just, they're just chilling. <laughs> Satan knows, and that's our foe. And Jesus, who is giving us this armor, he has already defeated Satan. He's defeated him. He's whipped him. He sent him packing. Now, if you have your copy of God's word, if you turn to Matthew chapter 4, you find the first time that Satan and Jesus come into an open conflict here upon the earth. It's in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. This is the temptation of Jesus. Where Satan comes to Jesus after he has been fasting for 40 days and tries to get Jesus to do things that he shouldn't do. He comes to Jesus when he's very hungry. Remember, my friends, Jesus was a real man just like you and me. I mean, like those of us who are men. (laughs) He was a real person. He got hungry. He got tired. He sweated. He was just like us. No doubt he liked catfish and hush puppies because that's that's the right kind of thing (laughs) to like. He was a real person, had real interest. And I, 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 I don't know if I thought about this very much, but have you ever wondered if Jesus had a favorite color? Favorite color? Favorite dinner bowl? Favorite fork? I mean, he's a person like we are, you know? He had these, these things, favorite pair of shoes. <laughs> he was real. And Satan knows he's a real person. And so in Matthew chapter 4, Satan comes to him and when he's hungry. And here's what Satan does. Verse 3, Matthew 4, 3. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Satan says, If you're hungry, and if you're really who you say you are, make these stones bread, and you can eat. And here's what Jesus says in verse 4. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So what, is, what exactly does that mean? What Jesus is saying was that his life was not dependent upon food. It's dependent upon the word of God. If God wants you to live, how long are you going to live? You're going to live a long time. And you're going to live without food and water if he wants you to. Remember Jonah in the whale's belly? What did he eat and drink for three days and three nights? Nothing. Who kept him alive? God did. Who who kept the Israelites alive in the wilderness all those years? God did. Who kept Jesus alive for 40 days and 40 nights without eating or, drink, eating or drinking? God did. What Satan was saying, what Jesus was saying to Satan was, I don't need to do that because God's going to keep me alive. God's going to take care of me. And you can't tempt me, Satan. Then the devil, the in verse 5 it says, uh, the devil doesn't quit. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him upon a pinnacle of the temple, right up on the top of one of the towers of the temple, looking down over the city. And Satan said, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, or jump off of this building. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Satan says, Jump off this building if you're the son of God, God will not let you die. Let's test God. And here's what Jesus says. It is written, thou shalt not put the Lord thy God to the test or tempt the Lord. I going to tempt God. I'm not going to call God upon God to prove himself. God's not a. Uh, God doesn't answer to us. He doesn't answer to Satan. God's not a trick. He's not a trick pony. He's not a trained dog to cart out, to see, see what he can do. Jesus says to Satan, I'm not going to do that because God is worthy of being treated better than that. And then Satan, he doesn't he doesn't quit. Verse 8. And again, the devil takes him up into an exceedingly high mountain and shows him all the kings of the world and the glory of them. And Satan said, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And Satan says... Be gone, Satan. It is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And the devil leaveth him, and angels come and minister to him. You see, Jesus says, nothing can cause me to worship you. There's only one person worth worshiping, and that's the Heavenly Father. Satan offers him all these things. You know, Yet, in your life as a Christian, Satan's going to come to you a lot. And tempt you to do things you shouldn't do. He's going to tempt you with all the things that you want. Food. uh, Invincibility. (laughs) Power. Glory. Riches. Satan's going to come and offer you all these things. In various ways. Don't give in to him. Don't give in to him. Jesus didn't give in. Don't you give in to him either? But this is just an illustration to show Jesus has defeated Satan. He defeated him there, in the wilderness. And most theologians would say Jesus defeated Satan in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was in agony over over his coming death. He defeated him. Jesus died, and was buried in the grave, and Jesus defeated Satan. He conquered. He is the victor. He has risen now. He's the risen Lord. Jesus is. We need to remember that Jesus is the, is the victorious Lord. And if God is for us, if this Jesus is on our side, who can be against us? That's Romans 8.31. Who can be against us? You see, this armor that we're going to talk about for a little while is given to us by the victorious Lord. It's not giving, given to us by a theoretical victor. It's given to us by an actual victor, somebody who has done the big work of defeating Satan. So back to Ephesians chapter 6. There's six pieces of armor to talk about. Six pieces of armor. The first, the scripture calls it here, says having your loins girded about with truth. This is the belt of truth or the girdle of truth. Uh, A Roman soldier. And what Paul does here is he talks about something people are familiar with. And if if we were going to do it today we would talk about the way soldiers look at Fort Sill. Have you guys guys seen the soldiers in their their battle outfits? They got got the vest on, they got their boots on, they got the helmet, and they got got all kinds of stuff. I don't even know all the parts. That's what we would be familiar with. But in Paul's day, the Ephesians were a Roman city, and they were familiar with Roman soldiers, how Roman soldiers looked. And so Paul describes the armor of God, he uses a metaphor, an analogy to describe to them what it's like to be armed for this battle. And these are not real things, they're not tangible items that you put on your body. Instead, they're all different ways of thinking, different ways of thinking. Now, we don't like to think, we like to let other people do our thinking for us, but these are mindsets that we have. The first one is the belt of truth, it's truth. A Roman soldier, the middle of his uniform, after he got everything put on, he had a a belt he would wear around his his middle. And it kind of tied everything together. Kept everything kind of pushed together in the center. It made made a hole out of it. And also on that belt was where he would hang his sword. Truth. Paul's simple meaning here is you need truth. Truth has to be in the center of your being, the center of your existence. Why truth? Well, truth is a powerful thing. Jesus said, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And when you decide to live by truth, you have liberty. Have you ever told a lie? You ever told three or four? You ever told a lie to cover a lie? To cover a lie? (laughs) If you're going to be a great liar, you have to have what? A great memory. You got to keep it all straight. Remember what you told everybody. It's hard to do it's hard to do how do i know i read a book <laughs> we all know how lying goes and when you find yourself entangled in a lie well you you're in bondage it's a it's a burden to you you hope nobody finds out about the lie maybe you're like me at some point in your life you told a lie and then you just decided to not bring that up anymore and you've lived lived past it you stop telling the lie. It's just something way back there in the past, and you just, you just live on. That's how lies are bad. Truth, however, is liberating. Truth gives us a clear conscience. And when you have a clear conscience, you can live without fear. You can face your enemies without fear. A lie really complicates our lives and just leads to more trouble. And so, Christians, we need to be committed to the truth, we need to be committed to honesty. And above all things, committed to the truth of Scripture. The truth of Scripture. So that's the the belt of truth. It goes around the middle, kind of pulls it all together. And then the second thing Paul talks about is a breastplate of righteousness. Now, I've often heard this described that all these parts go on the front. And there's nothing on the back. But that's just not the case. The Roman armor, the Roman breastplate covered the front and the back. The front and the back. kind of nice to know your back's covered because there's always somebody who wants to stick a knife back there (laughs) there's always a sneak attack that can come around you got to watch out the breastplate of righteousness now the righteousness here remember paul's using metaphors the breastplate covers what the heart and the lungs now if you poke a hole in your heart what's going to happen you're going to die if you get a hole poked in your lung what's going to happen same thing you're going to die And so when your breast is covered, when your chest is covered, you're going to be all right more than likely because your head is really hard. (laughs) But the tender bits are here. The breastplate of righteousness. Now, we receive our righteousness from Jesus when we trust him as our Savior. And that righteousness gives to us what kind of life? Is it temporary life? Is it extended life? Or is it eternal and everlasting life? Well, of course, it's the last two. The breastplate of righteousness. We're taking this up, remembering that through the blood of Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, we receive righteousness. And we have to face these attacks from Satan. You see, Satan cannot rob us of our salvation, but he can cause us to be worried about our salvation. Be worried about our salvation. I've been a Christian a long time and I've been a Christian so long that most of the sinning I've done I've done as a Christian. Because I became a Christian when I was a kid. I was 15. I'm 43 now, so I don't know what, what does that make it? About 30 odd years? I've done a lot of sinning as a Christian. A lot of sinning. And here's what Satan does when he sees a Christian sin. He'll come up and he'll whisper in your ear, you sure are a lousy Christian. How dare you call yourself a Christian? Have you ever had this, this kind of experience where you decide you, you haven't been doing something that's right? And you know, I, I need to read my Bible. I need to pray. And you go pick up the Bible. And it's like a voice says, how dare you touch that holy book? Or you bow your head to pray and say, oh, Lord, please help me. And a voice says, how can you ask God to get you out of the mess you got yourself into? Let me ask you a question. Do you think that sounds like the devil or the Holy Spirit? Does the Holy Spirit want to keep you from getting help from God? No, that's this. That's that's Satan telling you Satan wants to put a wedge between you and God he wants to drive you away from the heavenly father he wants you to get to feeling like God doesn't care about me or love me but that's not true is it that's a lie the devil deals in deception and so Paul he says the breastplate of righteousness take it out remember you even though you sin you have righteousness You're not saved from hell's flames because of the absence of your sin. You're saved by the presence of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, that is, in Christ. That might be the best thing that I've ever learned as a Bible student is that all of my righteousness that takes me to heaven comes from Jesus. All of it. And the sins that I commit, if I've trusted in Christ, those sins cannot pull me away from him. I'm saved once and forever. It's pretty good news. The third thing Paul talks about are our shoes. Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, this is an unusual, unusual bit of, of wording here. Preparation. The the New Schofield reference Bible talks about readiness, peace. We need to walk or stand in the peace of the gospel. We stand in peace with God because of the gospel. And because we are at peace with God, what do we want to have? What, 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 what do we want to have with other people? Peace. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, what did he say? Blessed are the troublemakers. (laughs) Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall see God. Peacemakers. You see, Christians, we're not war makers. We're peacemakers. We come with a message of peace. And the peace is, we don't want to do you any harm. All we want to do is tell you about Jesus. if you want to believe in Jesus, do so and follow on with us. But if you don't want to believe in Jesus, we mean you no harm. We mean you no harm. This is the great thing about true New Testament biblical Christianity. It's as the gospel has went forth throughout the world, true Christians have taken the gospel to far-flung places, into little villages and towns. And true Christians, if the town doesn't want to hear what they have to say, they just move on to the next place. I read it this morning in Matthew chapter eleven, when you chapter ten, when you come into a city, if they will receive you or into a house, if they will receive you, let your peace abide on that city. But if they reject you, knock the dust off your feet and just move on down the road. Didn't say if they reject you, burn down their house or steal their car or do something dirty to them. We mean you no know, harm, peace, The peace. We need to remember that we have peace with God through the gospel and that our attitude as Christians, our general pursuit is to have peace with people. To have peace with people. Of course, the greatest way to make peace in the world is through sharing the gospel, the good news. Remember, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We are at war with who? With Satan. We're not at war with sinners. We're not at war with sinners. We have a message for sinners. Believe on Jesus and be saved, or don't and be damned. You say, well, that sounds pretty offensive. Well, good news can only be appreciated in the light of the bad news, right? So what if you go home today and you all find out, you go home tonight and you check your bank accounts, you all got a million bucks. Is that good news? good news and then tomorrow you wake up and you got a million more dollars is that good news well it's good it's going to after a while it's going to be old hat (laughs) it's not going to be good news anymore if donald trump wins the lottery you think he's going to be dancing down the street (laughs) he didn't care he's already got a lot of money you and me we'd be dancing down the street the good news is jesus has come to save sinners and the bad news is if you don't believe him you won't be saved. It's peace. Peace. That's what we stand in peace. This is our message. This is our this idea of preparation means this is the way we're living and walking before people in this pursuit of peace. And then the fourth thing Paul mentions is the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Now, the Roman shield from what I looked up it weighed twenty-two pounds, and that might seem like a like a heavy shield. I don't, I don't, I don't know what what twenty-two pounds would look like, or feel like exactly, but it was a um, forty-one inches tall, you know about that tall, and it was only about sixteen inches wide, and it was curved, had a curved front. So it's, they said it was made of three planks, you know, two on the side, one in the middle, covered with leather, covered with leather. And they had a, usually had a steel, uh, kind of a, uh, uh, half circle or a kind of a bubble on the front of it, to kind of give it some force, some strength. And that it was big enough that the Roman soldier, when he needed to, he could hold it beside him and just kind of get get behind it. He say, "Well, they must have been little guys. <laughs> well, they're just crouching down behind it, behind it." And I can remember from playing hide and seek when I was a kid. I could make myself pretty small to keep from getting found by somebody. You could shrink up. You think you think about it tonight? Somebody breaks into your house, and you got to crawl underneath that bed. You 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 could probably do a lot of things you wouldn't think you could do. What if you're locked up in jail and you want to escape from jail? Ever seen those little holes the prisoners escape out of? Like how do they get their body through that? They went out of that jail. And these guys, you know, the battle's hot, and there's the shield. They would cower down behind that shield. And they, could just, they just trusted the shield. And sometimes in your Christian life, all you can do is hunker down behind the shield because Satan's, Satan's shooting the darts. He's shooting the arrows at you. He's attacking you. He's not going to stop. You can say, please stop, but he ain't going to stop. You can cry, but he ain't going to quit. So you just have to hunker down behind the shield of faith. Now what is shield of faith? Faith is confidence. It's to trust. And when you're behind the shield of faith, who are you putting your trust in? Remember, it's just a metaphor, right? The shield of faith, we're going forward through through life, trusting in whom? In the Lord. In God, in Jesus, the Lord, we're trusting in him. We're trusting that he's going to help us make it through. Now, how many many of you feel like you got some arrows sticking out of you (laughs) from the battle? I do. And I might have some sticking out of me, really, spiritually. But not as many as I could have. (laughs) God is with us. Now, Now, this idea here, it's interesting. It says, quench the fiery darts of the wicked. These are flaming arrows. Putting them out it doesn't mean the arrows aren't there. Just they're not burning. They're not burning. This is mere some metaphor. We live our life behind the shield of faith, trusting in the Lord, trusting in Him. The question might be, "Can I trust the Lord?" This, this is these are this is a, these are good questions. I think because I'm coming up with them as I go along. So we can trust the Lord with our salvation, right? If you're here tonight and you're a Christian, at some point you put your faith in Jesus to save you from the penalty for your sins. And you're trusting him every day because you could die at any moment, right? Any moment. You could die. You're trusting him to take care of those sins. Trusting him to keep you out of hell, right? Right? So we have to trust him with our regular daily life as well. Trusting him. So I don't like everything that's going on in my life. Welcome to the club. Life is not easy. There are horrible parts of life. I hear people, some people's life stories, and I think, man, I wish I could, I wish I could write I wish I could have written them a better story. I talked to a guy on the phone yesterday and he said, That's the most, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. And I said, Well. You need to read more books. (laughs) Because life can get pretty bad. But we have to trust the Lord through all these difficulties. They're shaping us. He is, I say they're shaping us. He is shaping us. He's making us how he wants us to be, how he wants us to be. Then you have, uh, this is letter E in my notes, but I think it's probably number five. Number five. The helmet of salvation. Put on the helmet of salvation. Say, why is it last? I don't know why it would be last. What's inside a helmet? What's inside a helmet? Your head, right? What's inside your head? Your brain. What do we do with our brain? Think. It's our mind. The mind is under attack. So this is, we have to, Put on the helmet of salvation. Putting, Wrapping ourselves in, in a reality that's spiritual. And thinking about things in a different way. Because our mind is under attack. Our mind is under attack. Proverbs 4.23. It says that the uh, keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. That's a metaphor. Heart is a metaphor for the mind. You know, say, so ever had your heart broken? Anybody had your heart broken? Anybody like that? A heart's been broken? Is your heart really broken? What, what, what's really broken? It, it's something up here in your mind. Your emotions, your, your emotions are tore up. It's your, it's your, it's your soul. It's where you where think and live, you know? And that is under attack. Satan wants us to think wrongly. He wants to corrupt our minds. He wants us to think the wrong way about God, about life, and everything else. But salvation is something that recalibrates us. It, it brings us back to, you know, back to zero. You know, you get on a scale. You ever got on a scale and thought, whoa, oh, I gained 50 pounds? <laughs> or you get on a scale and realize and you go, oh, I lost 20 pounds. You're like, wow, i really been, it's my my diet's paying off. But then you realize, oh, wait a minute you hit the zero button on the scale got to zero it out then jump on there it's, it's had me at the YMCA a while back in the men's locker room they got these digital scales and it's got a little button on the wall and I jumped on there and I was like whoa man I'm going to get a I'm going to go to the Chinese restaurant for lunch <laughs> I got the, I got room to play with you know and, and then I realized it's got that zero button. I thought, I bet some guy got on here and said he had, you know, so many pounds of clothes on is trying to do this. I hit the zero button and jumped back on there, and I wasn't eating at the Chinese restaurant. <laughs> I was eating fingernails and crackers. There's a Salvation helps us to rem- remember where we are and how we got there. I'm saved. By God so you think about things how God thinks about it in 2nd Corinthians 11 verses 1 to 3 Paul says that Satan wants us to think the wrong way about God and about life and every, everything else you see Satan wants to divide us from the Lord and the key to that division is messing with our mind getting us to think the wrong way you know it's possible to create a false reality a false reality. Sometimes a kid can do this, thinking about their parents. Yeah, my mom, my dad—they're always they're always out to do me harm, and sometimes that is true. But in a more general sense, if you'll go with me, you know, as a parent myself, I make decisions for the children. And and my and my motivation is I love them, and because you love them, sometimes you got to say what. You got to say no. have to say no, and nobody likes to hear no. Nobody likes it. So what happens is you know, the, the voices start rolling around in there, and they say, yeah, you know, your dad doesn't like you or love you or care for you, and your friends will say, well, if your dad really loved you, he'd do this. And it starts messing with your mind. It can happen in a marriage. You know, a husband can be mean to his wife and, you know, bark at her a little bit, and <laughs> or the wife can be barking at her husband, and you start thinking, they don't love me, they don't care about me, and it starts messing with your mind. And you, it's, it's, not, it's not real. It's not reality. And Satan wants to mess with our minds. There's a battle for the mind. And so God has given to us a resource for this, to help us with our mind. And uh, how do you change somebody's mind? How do you do that? It's just, it's just one, one thing. Information. Information. Information changes people's minds. So you give people information. And God has given us a lot of information. And where is it at? It's right here in the Bible. And you guys got lots of information in your minds from different places. Lots of information. Baseball statistics, basketball statistics, how to fix a car, how to balance a book, you know, whatever. You, you know all kinds of things. But the information you need is from the scriptures. And Christians got to Christians pay attention to God's word. They got to read the Bible got to spend time working through it. it takes time how long does it take to become proficient at something I mean yeah, you know, I, I was playing guitar earlier and I don't practice you know hardly at all but how many hours does it take to become proficient with a guitar or a piano you know, they say like 10,000 hours of practice and you'd be pretty good 10,000 hours, that's thats two or three years of messing around. And during the Corona period, I saw this guy on YouTube. He started when in the Corona lockdown not playing guitar at all. And by the time one year had passed, man, he was playing like a rock star, just chipping away at it. Christians, we have to take in God's word into our mind. We need good information into our mind. Instead of knowing the words to every single country song that's out there, or every line from our favorite TV show, we need to take in God's word. It it changes our mind. It renews our mind. There's uh, lots of words about that. Which brings us to the last thing, the sword of the spirit, which Paul says is the word of God. This is our offensive weapon. Scripture is the word of God. The Greek word for sword the spear here which is the word of god the the english phrase the word is a greek word which is rhema there's different words translated as the word in, in the new testament but this this greek word means living the bible is not just another book it's a living book hebrews 4 12 says it's sharper than a two-edged sword piercing the dividing of soul and spirit and of joints and marrows discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart god's word is alive it's quick and powerful alive and active it's not like other books it's a book that will change your life and so we have to get learn to use it if we're going to be effective in our warfare as christians against satan and against the world you have to know the bible Bible refutes error I want you to listen to me carefully there are a lot of people who who make up their own ideas about God a lot of people a lot of preachers and churches make up their own idea about God too because they think that God is like us he's just the very best of us he's the very best man but God is not a man God is a spirit God is truth he's light He's love. He's holy. He's unchanging. And the only place you're going to learn about the true view of God, and salvation, and everything is from Scripture. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. So you have to take a. That's your sword. And uh, you guys want me to keep going? Because I got enough to go till ten o'clock. You guys? <laughs> uh, probably not. Probably not. But this is our armor. We're looking to the Lord to. And all, all these things are ideas, thoughts. It's. Facts, truth, trusting in the Lord. I guess we could sum it up by saying this: If you're going to go against, if you're going to go against Satan, don't go alone. Go trusting in the Lord, calling upon Him to help you in every single moment and mile. All right, let's have a prayer together, then we'll be dismissed. I'm going to pray for the Elliots; they're traveling, and uh, the Smiths.